Welcome to the Reclaim Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Whether you're a part of our Reclaim Church family or just tuning in for the first time, we would love to connect with you on Instagram at Reclaim Church or at our website at reclaimed-church.com. We hope this word encourages and inspires you today. Let's dive in. What's up? Glad to have you guys. Glad everyone was able to make it on this frigid morning. We made it through. I don't know about you, but I enjoy Florida weather. The cold kind of gets to me. It makes my fingers a little bit frozen. and I have poor circulation, so I'm just fighting through it because God is good, right? Here I am because of God. Um, I don't know if you were here last week. I don't know because I definitely wasn't here. So hopefully you were. Um, Allie and I were out of town celebrating our anniversary. Oh, right? It was so exciting. We celebrated four years. So we beat all of the statistics. In case you didn't know, the vast majority of divorces all happen the first three years. The next large statistic is after 18. So just in case you didn't think you'd learn anything, there you go, all right? You learned something about a divorce statistic but we literally had the best time. We were talking about it in the car on the way home. Not that we did anything super exciting or anything different, but we were saying, you know, I think we had the best time together than we've ever had. And I'm a firm believer that I think um, marriage is the second best thing that God gave after salvation. I mean, nothing can refine you and grow you the way that marriage can. It sure does take a whole lot of work a whole lot of work, but when you put all of that work into the soil, it tends to produce a pretty good crop. Um, That's beside the fact. That's not what we're going to talk about today. If you were here, not last week, but the week before, in case you weren't, I'll give you a little bit of a recap. We talked about this um, unusual book called the Bible. Maybe you have heard about it. Um, Christians tend to hold it in a pretty high esteem. They think a lot about it. Um, But statistically, many of us in this room, we don't read it. All right. So what we know about the Bible either is taught to us as children or it's taught to us by adults that were taught the Bible as children. So many of us know stories that are in the Bible, you know, Noah and the ark or um, David and Goliath. We know stories that are in the Bible, but many few, very few of us know the story of the Bible. And that's what we talked about a few weeks ago was the story of the Bible. And we picked up in um, really the beginning for us Gentiles. If you don't know what Gentile means, it just means that you're not a Jew. And for all of us, the story begins near the end of the middle with this Greek-speaking man who was a doctor, and his name was Luke. And Luke went to write a letter to his friend Theophilus. He did not go to write the Bible, all right? So we're going to go through, like I had said a few weeks ago, we're going to go through the entire, we call it the Gospel of Luke. But Luke was not writing the Bible. He was writing a letter to a friend because his friend had heard of this man named Jesus. The entire known world at the time had been flipped upside down because of this man, Jesus. And Theophilus had to know the whole story. All right. He had to know the whole story. So Luke sits down to write a detailed account of what happened. It talks about how he interviewed eyewitnesses, how everything he put together was based off of their eyewitness reports. And he puts in a detailed account of the life of Jesus. And it was not so he could write the Bible. 
It was actually not written. It was not Luke's intention to write to you or me thousands of years later. It was written to one man, to one family, because he knew they had to hear the story. All right, so that's what we're going to read about this week. Over the next four weeks, we're going to go through, let's not call it the gospel of Luke. Let's, talk, let's call it Luke's story. All right, so that's going to be our title. It's going to be The Story, and we're going to go through the gospel of Luke. This week, I'm going to give you an overview of chapters one and two. Next week, it's going to be three and nine. The week after, it's going to be 10 through 19. And then the last week is going to be 20 through 24, all right? So this is gonna be pretty exciting, at least for me. I hope you guys will enjoy it because again, this is the story. I want you to try to wrap your, your mind around this. This is the story that changed the way that we keep track of time. This is the story that changed humanity as we know it. This is the story that has influenced more people than any government, than any king, than any ruler, than any person put together has influenced the world like this story. This is the story that changed everything. This is the story why you are sitting in this room, all right? So this is a big story, and this isn't just a story in the Bible. This is the story of the Bible, because if it wasn't for this story, you wouldn't be sitting here. If it wasn't for this story, you and I wouldn't have this book or this iPad, all right? It's because of this story that I have this iPad because the church paid for this iPad and I wouldn't have the iPad. You see how logic works, guys? All right, so because of the story, I have this iPad, all right? So again, like I talked about last week, it was Luke's account, Luke's eyewitnesses. He put this together. And for us, the story begins in Luke chapter one in the hills of Jerusalem, all right? It begins in the hills of Jerusalem where, where Israel's ancient prophets, I'm gonna give you an overview. I think I already said this, but just so we're all on the same page, I'm gonna give you an overview of chapters one and two quick five-minute overview. And then after that, we're going to zoom in to a portion of the chapter, and we're going to look at what I think is a takeaway for you and I in our 21st century lives, because the reason why we read scripture is to know the story, but also we get to know God through the story. All right, so when we read scripture, we get to see how God operated, how Jesus moved, how he talked. So that way, when we're in circumstances, and people act a certain way, or they say, God did this, or God feels like that, we're able to go, I'm not too sure because I know the way that God behaved. All right, you see, Jesus came to reveal who God is. So when you're driving down the road and people are holding up signs, talking about how God wants to see you burn and you need to repent, you're able to go, you know what? That can't be true, not because I'm smarter than them, but because Jesus came to reveal God and I know that that's what he did. So I'm able to read this story and know who he is and how he would operate. So that's the reason why we're reading. All right, that's the reason why I'm gonna give you a quick overview. I hope you'll go and read it for yourself but that's what we're doing, all right? So again, story starts for us, Luke chapter one, and in the story, it zooms in on this place called Jerusalem. It's a very hilly city, and it's a place where the temple is. And in case you didn't know, the temple was run by the priest, 
All right, but the interesting thing is there is this priest named Zachariah. All right, anyone named Zachariah? I know one Zachariah. This is probably where you got your name from, all right, bud, in case you don't know. It was probably this Zachariah. So there was this priest named Zachariah, and it was his week to serve. So there were all these different groups of priests, and one week out of the year, it was your job to serve in the temple. But this week is extremely special for Zechariah because he was chosen to walk into the inner sanctuary and burn incense for God. And this is such a great honor that it was said that priests would only get to do this once a lifetime. And this was Zechariah's opportunity to walk into the inner sanctuary. And the reason why it was such an honor is because it was said that the, the presence of God would hover in this place that you would walk in and you would literally experience the presence of God. So what would happen is people would gather outside, they would pray and they would wait just for you to come out so that they could hear what it was like to experience the presence of God because so few people ever got to experience it. And yet Zachariah was chosen to be the man to experience it that one day out of that one week out of that one year, and for him, probably the one time in his lifetime. So he walks into the inner sanctuary and he starts burning incense. It was a way to worship God. I know this is so outside of our culture and without going down rabbit trails to explain it all, just try to stay with me. So he goes into this inner sanctuary, he's burning incense, he's worshiping God, and all of a sudden, an angel appears to him. And every time in scripture, When an angel appears, the person ends up falling down on the ground. They seem to be terrified, and I feel like we must have gotten our Christmas tree toppers all wrong, all right? (laughs) I don't know about you, but I feel like I should just take one of those WWE action figures and put that on top of the tree. Because I'm like, that's what they had to look like, you know? That's what they had to have looked like. Maybe with more clothes, I don't know. Wes has a theory, maybe no clothes. I don't know, I don't know what was going on, all right? I don't know what was going on, but all I know is that they couldn't have looked like the Christmas tree toppers because they're always terrified when the angel walks in the room. So the angel appears and he's terrified and the angel looks at Zachariah and he says, don't be afraid, God has heard your prayer. And he goes, you are going to have a son. Now, that might not sound too crazy for you to hear that um, an angel tells a man and his wife, Elizabeth, that he's going to have a son. But you see, Elizabeth, who is Zachariah's wife, is barren. They haven't been able to have children forever, despite the fact that they have constantly prayed. And at this point, they are very, very old. Did I say that they're very old? Like, they're really old. I'm pretty sure they're really old, all right? and they're unable to have children. And the angel says that you are going to have a son. Not only are you going to have a son, but he is going to be great in the eyes of God. He is going to be, get this, filled with the Holy Spirit before birth, and you are to name him John. Again, I want want us to wrap our minds around this. Before he's born, he will be John, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he ever exits the womb because he's a person. And he goes, this is going to be the man that has been prophesied about from long ago. This is going to be the man that prepares the way, that prepares the way for God himself to come and establish his kingdom here on earth. And at this point, Zachariah seems pretty stunned. 
But this is prepare the way for Israel to meet their God when he arrived to earth to set up his kingdom. And he tells Zechariah that he should name his child John. Again, this would have been extremely shocking, right? Because just before the New Testament, this is one of the gospels, this is the accounts. Before this, it was known as the 400 years of silence. So God didn't speak. All right, he wasn't speaking to anyone. He wasn't prophesying to people. Angels weren't appearing like we read in the fourth, the Old Testament. It was just complete and utter silence. Everyone is waiting. All of Israel is waiting for the day that um, the Messiah will come and set them free. And at this moment, it's complete silence until the angel appears and speaks to Zechariah. All right, and this would have been extremely shocking it would have been extremely anticipated because all of the known world is ruled by the Roman Empire at this time. All right, so Israel wants nothing more. God's people, Israel, wants nothing more than to be free of the Roman oppression. They want nothing more than to be able to govern themselves on their own land. So all of a sudden, Zechariah hears that this time is finally coming to pass. But the question is, how is he going to come? And then this is where we get to hear the part of the story that many of you are probably very familiar with if you've happened to been in church before. The angel appears to another person. And this, the writer of um, Luke, Luke himself zooms out of Jerusalem, moves over to this obscure town known as Galilee, and he zooms in on this young teenage girl named Mary. And he appears to Mary, again, starts out with the don't be afraid, WWE, I'm sure, all right? He appears and he says, don't be afraid, you are going to have a son. So in this beginning part of, of Luke's gospel, we get to see that two children are being born and these are going to be the children that are gonna change the known world as we have seen it. The only difference is this child is going to be a little bit different than John because this is going to be the Messiah. This is going to be the son of God that we've all been waiting for. And the angel, again, you might be familiar, goes on to explain what Jesus is going to be like. He says, you should name him Jesus, which means the savior. He's going to save us from our sins. He's going to set us free from captivity. And he just, and he explains to her what it is that's going to happen. He will be a king in the line of David that will rule over God's people forever. So I want you to picture this. This is a young teenage girl who's engaged but not married in some really disgraceful town that people don't even want to associate with. And all of a sudden she goes from this no-name girl to the future mother of the king of all of Israel and all of the world forever. And it's really cool, she actually ends up breaking out in song. It's like a Disney movie a little bit. I was thinking, man, Disney should get a hold of this, you know? This would be a great story. Everyone's like, yeah, right. It would be, though, if they'd actually do it. She breaks out in song, and she talks about how 
how that he's going to bring down rulers from their thrones, how he's going to exalt the poor. And she sings a song about how this reversal of her own social status is a greater picture of what it is to come. Because what Jesus does is when he enters into the world, he completely flips the way of how we do things. He came in a way that we never expected. And then when we move into chapter two, that's exactly what it is. If you've ever been to a Christmas Eve service, they probably read Luke chapter two. And what it is, is it's just a story of how Mary and Joseph traveled and ended up giving birth to Jesus. Except he wasn't born in a, he wasn't born in a palace or in a castle. He was born in a stable or a cave and he was laid in a feeding trough for animals to eat from, probably with flies roaming around. And when you read the story, I have to imagine Theophilus reading the story, it had to be a little bit shocking, right? I mean, can you imagine you're waiting for the story? It takes however long for Luke to compose this letter, put it together, finally send it over to Theophilus, and he gets to hear about this man that's changing the world, the man that's God himself, and he's getting to hear how he came into the world. It's like, this is how he did it? There wasn't even room for him in some dingy inn. He had to be born in the middle of a cave, laid among animals, laid in the middle of a feeding trough. It's like, are we sure that this is the God that we've been waiting for? It makes you wonder what on earth is going on. This is really, really strange. If God's really gonna come to save the world, this isn't how you would expect him to do it. And I think that's kind of the point all throughout the gospel. Jesus seems to flip over how we expect to do things. He seems to change the way of how we operate, how we do church, how we talk to people, how we behave. He comes in and he completely flips. And if you're not careful, you can completely miss God because you're expecting him to show up in a way that he never will. And you see, that's what happened at this time. Everyone's waiting for the Messiah. They expected a war hero, a general, to be coming down from heaven, and he was going to fight a war to free them from Roman oppression. And you see, everyone, not everyone, but the vast majority of people missed Jesus because they were looking in the wrong place. And so much of the time, God's wanting to work and move in your life, and you can completely miss him because you're looking in the wrong direction. There's so many times in life that I expect God to show up and go, God, I know you're going to do it this way, right? I know you're going to work on this time frame. And what happens is we can completely miss what God's trying to do in our lives because we want him to operate in our time frame and within our rules. And if we're not careful, we can miss the Messiah like they did. If we're not careful, we can miss what God has in store for our careers or our marriages or the way that we parent. We can completely miss it because we expect it to be done a certain way. And he does it in a way that we would never expect or maybe in a time frame we could never understand. So we end up giving up on God because we don't believe he'll ever come through. So that's kind of, um, just to recap, again, Luke chapter one and chapter two, that's the whole story. It's a story about the birth of John, 
in the birth of Jesus. And it sets us up for what is to come. And that's what we're going to talk about next week, which is chapters three through nine. But I want us just to zoom back in. All right, we're going to zoom back into chapter one. I want us to look at what Zechariah did whenever the angel appeared, okay? Because I think this is something that many of us do. And I think Zechariah was expecting was expecting God to operate in his time frame. And when he didn't, he gave up. And I want to make sure that we never do the same thing. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 6, I want you to get an understanding of what type of people Zechariah and Elizabeth were. It says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. Wouldn't that be a cool thing to have written about you? Mine would be like, he spent too long on Hulu, you know? It's like, are you kidding me? That is awesome. Zachariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. That's the type of stuff that I want people to write about me one day. And yet they never got the joy to have children, all right? I want us to try to wrap our mind around this. I know you could probably never relate, but could you imagine praying for something over and over and it never happening? Can you imagine asking God for something, expecting him to come through, having faith that he can do it and it never happens? And going, God, aren't I doing everything right? And many times we question our own motives or our own heart. Well, maybe I'm screwing up. Maybe I did something wrong. Maybe God's punishing me for this or that. But here we get to get a glimpse into scripture and hear and see that they were righteous people that did the right thing in God's eyes. And yet Zachariah and Elizabeth made it all the way through their lives, asking and begging for children, and they never got it. And then he arrives to a point where he's very late in years and he knows the opportunity is over. Has anyone ever given up on a prayer? Anyone ever prayed so long that you've gotten to the point and you've gone, well, I guess the window's closed. I thought God had a plan for me. I thought he had something in store for me, but now I see that the time frame has closed and what I thought could happen now, I know it can't. I want you to see what's so interesting to me that really stood out to me, the way the angel speaks to Zachariah. Again, he starts out because he's a wrestler. He starts out by saying, don't be afraid. But look at how he follows it up after don't be afraid. He goes, Zachariah, Zachariah, exclamation point. The Lord heard your prayer. Zachariah, exclamation point. The Lord heard your prayer. Your prayer. I wonder what it would be like for you to put your own name in that sentence. After years and years of crying out, of asking God to intervene, of asking God to bless you, what would it be like to hear Corey exclamation point, God heard your prayer. The nights when you were weeping, the nights when you were crying, when you felt like it would never work out, he could never make something out of this mess, It didn't seem like he was ever going to intervene, and yet God heard your prayer and follows it up with, you are going to have a son. And it's the very thing that he had been asking for for years, for decades, and he goes, you're going to get it. 
No, this is what I want us to learn. This is what I want us to take away because I don't want us to make the mistake that Zachariah made, okay? I don't want you to be so hurt and let down by how you thought God would operate that you end up neglecting what it is that he wants to do in your life. So in verse 13, again, this is what he said, but don't be afraid, Zachariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. And look, he says, you will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. This is the very thing that he has been praying for and asking for. And look at how Zechariah responds in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now and my wife is also well along in years. I want you to look at this right here. How can I be sure? If you take your letdowns along with you, when the Lord finally shows up and wants to speak in your life, this will be the first words that come to mind. How can I be sure? How can I be sure? Because you see, what faith does is it says, I know he's gonna do it. And what doubt does is goes, prove it to me and show me how you will. Faith goes, I know you're gonna do it. I have no doubt that you will. And you see the scripture says that it's impossible to please God without faith. You see at this moment, Zacharias steps into a position where he can't please God. And he goes, I don't believe you. I don't trust you because I had trust for you at one point. I had faith for you at one point. I had faith that you could restore my marriage. I had faith that you could bring the circumstances together for me to start my career. I had faith that my children would get over this. I had faith, but now you have to prove it. I prayed for long enough, now you have to prove it. He says, I'm an old man and my wife is also well along in years. And then in verse 19, this is Gabriel's response. It reminds me so much of the way that God replies to Job when he starts to complain. And the angel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. All right, again, I want us to imagine it's really good to know God as your friend and it's something that Jesus teaches all throughout the New Testament, but we gotta make sure that we know God as God. And Gabriel goes, do you realize that I'm standing in the very presence of the creator of the heavens and the earth? Who are you to question him? Who are you to doubt him? And he says in verse 20, but now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. All right, I want us to wrap our head around this. You see, if you didn't know the story, Zachariah walked out of that room, out of that inner sanctuary, a mute. For over nine months, he could not speak or utter a word. Not because he did, not because, you know, he screwed up or he sinned. He, he, he didn't, he got, I'm gonna try this again, all right? Here we go. I've never tried so hard to get a word out of my mouth. I'm like, that's what it feels like to stutter. It's like, gosh, get it out, all right? Um, anyway, it was because of this moment, because of his doubt, that he walked out and could not speak. For an, over nine months, the man could not speak. And just like um, God replied, 
to um, Job and said, do you not know who made a man's mouth? It seems like he looks at Zechariah and does a similar thing and shuts his mouth. And when I was reading this and I was thinking about the fact that God literally closed his mouth, I have no problem all the times that Jesus opened people's mouths, that he opens people's eyes, but to comprehend the fact that he closed someone's mouth, it kind of just made me feel uncomfortable. And then I started to think, well, if, if it caused, if doubt caused Zachariah's mouth to be closed, I wonder how many doors have been closed in my life because of doubt. I wonder if God has actually been on the brink of opening things up in my life, but right before he does it, I express doubt. I step out of faith, and when I step out of faith, it's impossible to please God, and it actually closes doors in front of me. I wonder if you've ever had doors closed to your career because of your doubt. I wonder if you've ever had doors closed to your marriage because of the way that you think and behave about your marriage. I wonder if we've had things closed in our lives, not because we're doing things wrong. Zachariah was honorable. He was righteous, but he just lost faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, and when it's impossible to please God, it's impossible to receive his blessing. And because of that, Zechariah had to walk out of that temple when everyone was eagerly awaiting. Can you imagine? This is the biggest moment of your entire life, and there is a group of people waiting outside to hear how amazing it is, and you walk out and can't speak. You're the man that's supposed to go of all, you're the man that goes into the temple on behalf of all of Israel to worship God and you walk out a mute because you didn't have faith in God. He walks out a mute because he didn't have faith in God. I wonder how many times have we actually had doors closed? Have we had opportunities closed? Have we missed out on blessings because we didn't have the faith to receive it? And I look over at Mary and the way that she behaves is so different. The way that a priest, the person that is chosen on the behalf of all of Israel, behaves out of doubt and yet a young teenage girl from some obscure village handles it out of faith. I want you to look at the way that she handles it. This is um, verse 13. The angel finishes and it says, for the word of God will never fail. And this was Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. Now this verse is actually, I don't know about for you, this might just be for me. So just try to stick with me here, okay? This verse stuck out to me more than anything else in these two chapters. And this is why. All right, again, this is personal. I hope it will relate to you somehow. But you see, I've grown up in the church. I've grown up around amazing, anointed people. I've had the honor and privilege to sit in on some amazing services and to have words spoken over me and you can even say prophesied about me. And there's been times where, where I've gone, God, I don't know how we will ever get to the point of what I heard about what was said. How is this ever going to happen? And then there's been times that I've literally lived for the word and, I've, and it's been like, that's what's fueled me. That's what's given me my faith is that word. And when I read this passage, I realized that I was doing it both wrong. 
One, I was living for the word, and one, I was living in anticipation of the word. And I realized that Mary had such faith that it wasn't just about the word, but she goes, I am the Lord's servant. Her identity wasn't found in the word. Her identity was found with her relationship with the Father. And she goes, I am the Lord's servant. And look at this. She goes, may everything you have said come true. May everything you have said about me come true. And I realized at that moment when I was reading this passage that it's not just about me becoming the person that was prophesied, but it's about God's God's word coming to fruition. And me going, God, if you say it, let it be. But my identity is found in being a servant of yours. I have complete faith that you can do it, that you will do it. You don't need to prove anything to me. I'm just going to trust you because I'm your servant. So maybe you have, you're trying to hold on to faith for whatever it might be in your life, your children, your marriage, your career, your ministry, whatever it might be. I would, I would try to bring you into a place where you adopt Mary's prayer where it's not about God proving something to you because you saw how Zechariah got treated after that, where it's not about living for the word where you find your identity once your marriage is fulfilled, you find your identity once you have the child, but you find your identity in the process of knowing the one that created you. And Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. And that did something for me. I hope that um, you guys are able to get something out of it like I did. So as we close, again, the whole point of this series, this next four-week series where we talk about the story that Luke told to Theophilus is I want you to know the story that changed the entire world. And the reason why I want you to know the story is because when you hear the story, you get a glimpse of who God is because Jesus came, Jesus said, I came to reveal the Father. So when you get to hear the words that he spoke, the things that, you, that he taught, you get a glimpse into who God is. That's why you want to read the story. All right, so as we close, I want to read to you something that Zachariah said after his son John was born. All right, so like I said, he was a mute for over nine months. All right, he was a mute until eight days after John's birth on the day of his circumcision. Now, I don't know about you, we got Benaiah circumcised and no one came to celebrate, all right? (laughs) We came out of the hospital room, I was all excited. I expect to see Gary, Lindsay, and John and everyone there excited and no one's there. I was like, I thought we had real friends. This baby just got circumcised. Where is everybody, you know? But apparently our culture is very different than theirs, all right? This was... I'm going to refrain from giving you all of the backstory to all this stuff, to why it's special to circumcise them. I'm just going to move right on, okay? But, but the point is, it was a very special occasion when a young boy was circumcised, and they would come to celebrate, and it was at this moment that the father would name the child. Okay, so here he is. It's at the circumcision ceremony, and Elizabeth speaks out and goes, his name will be John. And everyone around, you know when you tell someone your name for the first time, like your baby name for the first time, and they're like, what? You know, like don't tell anyone until the baby's born because they have opinions, all right? (laughs) They do. They have some opinions. I know you guys have some horror stories from that. All right, but they have opinions and they speak out and they go, no one in all of your family is named John. You should name him Zachariah after his father. 
And because it was culture for the man to name the child at that time, they turn to Zachariah and they go, what will be his name? And he motions for a writing tablet. And on the tablet, he writes John and he turns it around. And at the moment that he turns around the tablet, what the Lord said had come true and he's able to speak. And at that moment, Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, all right? And he begins to prophesy. And I want us to read as we close what it was that Zechariah prophesied. Let's go ahead and um, start in verse 66. Scroll down there. You can turn down there. I'll scroll. All right, so... 65 actually is fine. I don't have it up there. But it says, awe fell upon the whole neighborhood and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? Again, this is John. What will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. People got to see the way that God moved. And then verse 67, it says, Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David. This is a side note, but I just, isn't it crazy what God can do in the moments of silence? In the moments where we wanted to walk through the door of blessing, when we're actually held back and restricted so that we can grow, isn't it amazing the growth that can happen when God holds us back for the good? The moment that he gets to speak, this is what comes out of his mouth. Just as he had promised through his holy prophets long ago, now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. Now this last part, again, it spoke to me. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like it hit me in a special way. I was reading it to Benaiah last night when I was rocking him to sleep and imagining Zachariah's position as he holds his little son and prophesies this over him. He says, and you, my little son, you will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way of the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. He goes from telling God, you have to prove it to me, to telling his son about God's tender mercy and the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide us on the path of peace. John grew up and became strong in the spirit. This is the start of the story that changed the entire world. And as um, Zechariah prophesied, this is for those that sit in darkness. So I don't know what your home life is like, what your thought process is like when you lay in bed at night, if you feel like you're in darkness, but that is the entire reason for why Jesus came. That's the whole reason for why he's here is because he came to set the captives free. 
at Reclaimed, we say that we believe God put us here to reclaim relationships, freedom, and purpose. We believe that God wants to reclaim his relationship with you. He wants to know you. Jesus said that God so loved the world, he so loved you that he gave his only son so that you can experience life with him. He didn't want you to be apart from him. He wanted you to experience life with him. He wanted you to step out of darkness into light. He wanted the sunlight to break upon you. And in order to do that, all you have to do, the Bible says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord. All right, so I'm gonna pray with you guys and then um, we're all going to go eat, all right? So God, we thank you. We thank you that this document from Luke has been preserved for thousands and thousands of years so that we have the opportunity to read it today. We thank you for what you did for your sacrifice. God, I just ask that you would move upon our hearts, that you would give us a desire and a hunger to know you to understand what you gave to know us. And if you feel like you're in the darkness right now, I just ask, um, you know, it's super simple. Just ask God to, um, to take you out of it. Just ask God to move upon your heart. Say, I'm sorry for the way that I've acted. I'm sorry for the sins that I've committed, but I wanna, I wanna start doing things your way. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made for me. And that's the way that we enter into relationship with him. So God, we just bless everyone here. God, that you'll go before them and behind them and that they'll be able to really hear your voice. That they won't doubt when you speak, but they will have faith to believe that what you said will come to pass. In your name, amen. All right, guys, so just again, that was chapters one and two. Next week, we're doing three and nine. So if you want to come out of the 8% statistic that actually reads their Bible, read chapters three through nine with me this week. That way, you know exactly what we're talking about next week. All right, sound good? We'll see you again next week. Bring your friends, come hang out with us, hang around and talk. We'll see you later. If you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe for more from your Reclaim Church family. God bless, and we hope that you have an amazing week.